As we stand, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can sing of Jesus conquering the grave and that bringing us salvation. Amen. Please be seated. Well, it might be uh, low Sunday, strange term that, Um, but we can rejoice, can't we, that uh, Jesus appeared to those people in that locked room. So I don't know what's low about that. I think that's pretty fantastic stuff, actually. Um, But uh, we need to look at this passage today, and we're going to look at it with reference particularly to mission Organisations today have web pages, don't they? Innumerable web pages. And these organisations often have mission statements, words that express their aims and philosophy, what they want to achieve. Go into any secondary school in Norfolk, and I've been in a few in the last 12 months or so, and you will see these written upon their walls hoping to inspire visitors, students, and staff alike. Well, it's the same, isn't it, with churches. And here we at Trinity have our vision statement. Uh, Andy, if you could uh, put the first slide up, please. It's written on the wall in our meeting place. I'm not going to read it out for you because it's there on the screen. But you can see that we, one of our mission statements is that we are serving our networks and local communities so that there will be multiple congregations established or grafted from Holy Trinity. And this is based firmly upon Scripture, but it needs to be translated into our lives, our prayers, and our actions, both on a personal level and on a corporate level here as a group of believers together. And recently we've seen quite a concentration on mission, In the church, Will has run the Grow, Love and Serve course, which clearly helped us see the importance of mission and evangelism. And Andy Bunter is running the Catalyst meetings where we're seeking to see God's will for working within our local community. Well, the reading this morning we have supports this theme of mission and addresses some of the issues thrown up by it. So, if you've got your Bibles, please open them again. We're on page 1089. Now, as I read through this and I prayed through this passage, I believe that God has given us three points that we can identify from this passage and from Jesus' teaching and action. We see that Jesus brings peace, sends his followers out on mission and encourages faith. And I would like to take each of these in turn, uh, looking at how Jesus brings peace, so he sends us out in mission, and the question of faith. Because each of these three are often interrelated, and you can't have one without another. So firstly then, the bringing of peace. Jesus brings peace. We see this if you look in verses 19 verses 21 and verses 26. Now we need to remember what was going on here. The followers of Jesus were frightened. They were scared of the Jewish leaders who had killed Jesus. They were terrified because they had known 
because they were known as Jesus' friends and followers and would be hounded, or they believed they would be hounded, by the Jewish leaders and perhaps even killed. And so they took the logical action of hiding behind locked doors. Now, of course, in our lives, doubt, events of our lives can come upon us that can lead us to fear and worry and not have the certainty that God has actually called us. Well, the disciples had this in a big way. Their world of the last three years had collapsed. The promises of the kingdom of God coming had seemed to have failed. Their leader and friend, the man who had shown miraculous powers, had been betrayed and killed in the most painful way, and they were in fear and despair. And it's into this situation that Jesus comes, but in a new form, because we read in verse 19 that he appeared. That is, he materialised into the room. Frightening stuff. If someone appeared behind our locked front doors at home, we'd be pretty scared by it. Okay, so it's frightening stuff. And this was several hours after the event recorded in verse 15, given by Mary of her having met the risen Jesus. So into this troubled world, Jesus appears, the same but changed. He was dead, but now appears to be living. And he brings them peace. Look at the words that he uses in verse 19, verse 21 and 26. Peace I give you. Now this peace, the word for peace used here is shalom. It's a familiar Hebrew greeting, richer in meaning than the mere absence of stress, which is what we often understand by the term peace. Now, what does this word actually mean? Well, in the Old Testament terms, shalom meant well-being in its fullest sense. Well-being in its fullest sense, containing all the blessings of the kingdom of God. And this could only be offered by Jesus after his death and resurrection. It complements Jesus' last words on the cross. It is finished. The work is complete. And this is the peace which Jesus brought by his crucifixion. And so the signs of nails and the piercing of his side confirms this to his disciples, that this figure in front of them is indeed their friend and their master. And so Jesus gives them the peace by breathing over them the Holy Spirit, giving the Spirit to them. We see this in verse 22. And we read in verse 20 that the result of all of this, having seen Jesus, having the peace being given to them, that they are full of joy. And I'd like to suggest to you that when we grasp the meaning of Jesus' death and resurrection and we accept the peace that Jesus offers us, his Holy Spirit, that joy is the result of the Easter events. So whether we're in low Sunday or not, have joy because Jesus died for each one of us. But this peace will allow the disciples to follow Jesus' instructions, that they are to continue to do his work here on earth. And that, of course, is mission. So in verse 21 we read, Jesus says, As the Father sent me, I am sending you. So we see here that God the Father is ascending God, a God who wants to bring mankind back to him. 
And the peace that Jesus gives is not so that those disciples and us can live a peaceful, satisfied, safe life behind closed doors. But rather, we can do what God calls us to do. And that is to be involved in mission. Because that was what Jesus was sent to do here on earth. And so we see then, in this passage, the importance of mission. The importance of mission. Now I'd like to stress to you that if Jesus hadn't have met his followers after his resurrection, hadn't given them the Holy Spirit, the work that he had started doing the Father's will here on earth would have finished. But no, we read in verse 21, Jesus says, As the Father sent me, I am sending you. And so Jesus instigates the first mission, giving his disciples the command to carry on what he had been doing. And this, of course, is what Jesus' followers have been told to do ever since. If the disciples and the church are to be like Jesus, then they need to be committed to mission, because that is what Jesus was. So a measure of how God, like the church and the individual Christians are, is seen in the degree to which they are committed to mission, whether that be in a local area or further afield, to spreading the love of God, to present the claims of Jesus, to offer people a way to get right with God through the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's a challenge, isn't it, to each one of us. It's a challenge to me, it's a challenge to us as a church. But some people might say, well, by what authority can we do this? By what authority can we go out into the local community and tell people about Jesus? Well, we have the authority of Jesus. We have the obedience of Jesus, who exercised the authority of his Father, because he was totally obedient to his Father's will. What will this work look like? What will it look like? Well, it will look like the work of Jesus on earth. Jesus declared that God's kingdom is here now, and it's characterised by forgiveness, by healing, by making whole, by delivering from evil spirits, by bringing us into a relationship with God. And it follows then that the followers of Jesus have the same authority, the same power as Jesus had, as long as they're fully dependent upon the Holy Spirit and the Father's will. So mission then is to do what Jesus did here on earth, in our community in which we operate. Because we are given the authority and power of Jesus, and the Father, and the power of the Holy Spirit, because it's God's will that what, that what we are doing. And of course, we can't do anything more important here on earth. While the word of God is preached and taught and shared, the results will always be the same. Some will respond in faith and have their sins forgiven, others won't. But of course, it's an incredibly important work. It's such an important work, in fact, that there is a price to pay for mission. Look at the price that Jesus paid. It cost Jesus the cross. The taking the punishment of sin upon that cross. Total self-sacrifice. And so the risen Jesus, who sends us out with his commission, 
is not identified by kingly glory, but by the marks of the cross. Remember Jesus' statement as recorded in John chapter 12, verse 26. Whoever serves me must follow me. And so, as I was thinking and praying about this, I wondered, am I as an individual, am I as a member of the church, prepared to give up all to witness to people, both physically and spiritually, to proclaim his kingdom, bringing wholeness to people, both physically and spiritually. It's a costly exercise. Remember Jesus' words to that inquirer, of a man who asked, what can I do to follow you? Jesus said, the foxes have holes, the birds have nests, but the Son of God has nowhere to lay his head. And because it's so costly, Jesus promises them peace. The peace of God will allow them to go out in mission. But for this to be effective, for this to be possible, they need faith. Faith in the person of Jesus. Faith in the power of Jesus. And so in this passage, we see something of the character and importance of faith. And so my third point this morning is the importance of faith. Now I wondered if you wanted your best friend to believe in Jesus and receive eternal life, what would you do? How would you go about convincing them of the truth concerning Jesus? Would we point them to the church or to friends or even to our own testimony of what God has done for for us? Well, all of these things, of course, may well help. But the writer of this gospel, the Apostle John, says that we can have faith because of the witness of his writing. Look at verse 31. Verse 31 says this, These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So the witness then is found in the written word. The accounts of Jesus' teaching the accounts of the miracle worlds of healing and demonic deliverance, as well as his death and resurrection. All of these bear witness to his claims to be God's Son, our Saviour. And these will lead to faith and belief. And so, if our faith is floundering, if our faith is weak and doubts crowd in, go back to the Gospels, walk with Jesus as he teaches and heals, and believe his promises to us. I was recently reminded of this by an American pastor who said that we needed to guard our faith. We needed to guard our faith. And we can do this by taking, by believing, and by using God's promises to us as recorded in the Bible. This pastor stated that he keeps copies of these promises in his Bible, in his study, in his office, and each day tries to remind himself of God's promises to us, because faith is built up by staying in God's word. And so as we consider mission in our area, let's be reminded of the power of the written word of God and work towards a way of using this in spreading the good news of Jesus. And so in our passage in front of us this morning, we have this promise in verse 31. 
but we also see the reality of when doubts creep in through the character of Thomas, who sets requirements for his belief. Because we need to recognise, don't we, that having faith in God, having faith in Jesus, is not always easy. If you go to Mark 9, verse 24, where there's an account of Jesus healing a boy with an evil spirit, we read, the father says, immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Having faith isn't always easy. And we need to recognise that there will be a battle with unbelief. <coughs> and we see this through Thomas's actions and words. Look at Thomas's, how Thomas responds to the disciples' claims of having seen Jesus. He, he responds with definite and emphatic conditions for believing. Look at verse 25. He says this, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my finger where the, into his side, I will not believe it. So why did Thomas act like this? Why did he have these problems of belief? And can we identify with them and can it help us in our belief? Well, I think there are three things that uh, come out from this passage. Firstly, we see that uh, Thomas had somewhat of a rather pessimistic character. We don't read an awful lot about Thomas in the, uh, in the New Testament, but in John 11, verse 16, it says this, Then Thomas, called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Bit pessimistic. I probably tend to be a bit pessimistic, and that may be why I have doubts at time as well. But we also see that Thomas cut himself off from the rest of the disciples for whatever reason. He was not with them when Jesus first appeared. And we can do the same, can't we? We can cut ourselves off from other believers who will build up our faith, and so doubts come in. Remember, Christ promised to us that he will be with us where two or three are met together in his name. We need to meet together. Ryle, that famous Christian, said, how much Christians may lose by not regularly attending gatherings of God's people. Not wanting to be legalistic, let's encourage one another in regularly meeting together because that will help to strengthen our faith. Thirdly, we see that with Thomas, as in our lives, sometimes contradictions happen that contradict what we believe. Uncertainties, the death of Jesus, helped to display, uh, displace Thomas's belief. And this is where we need to go and know God's promises. We need to be able to cling to them. So it's good to be able to say within this passage that Jesus didn't dismiss Thomas and his doubts. No, in fact, he seems to have appeared to the disciples this second time to benefit Thomas who responds with this great confession, my Lord and my God. So we see here that doubt isn't sin. Jesus mildly rebukes Thomas and gives us another encouragement in verse 29, where he says, blessed are those who believe without seeing. So we need to recognise that faith, having faith, may well be difficult at times, 
and beware will be a struggle. But Thomas comes into an assured faith and conviction. He recognises the basis of, for his faith was the resurrection of Jesus and the personal experience he had of being with Jesus. And that led to him serving Jesus for the rest of his life. It's believed that Thomas went on to establish churches in India where he was eventually killed for his faith. Now, whereas we don't have personal experience of Jesus walking with Jesus, we do have the benefits of the written accounts in the Bible. And we do have the witness of believers down throughout the ages, as well as the power of the Holy Spirit to assure us of Jesus' claims to faith. And then we also see in this short passage the glory of faith, the glory of faith. Thomas comes out in verse 28, that great statement of faith, my Lord and my God. And he's using the same words that are used in the Old Testament for Yahweh, the covenant partner for Israel. He's putting Jesus at the same level as Yahweh a very significant fact for those first century Jews. He is showing faith's special blessing that sinful human beings can glorify God by placing their adoring trust in the eternal Son of God and calling him Lord and God. And we can rejoice that Jesus is high above all other deities and we can worship him. And then lastly, we see in this passage an invitation to faith. We see an invitation. As we've already seen, John invites us to respond to Jesus and his claims by believing, by committing ourselves personally to Jesus Christ as our Lord and God. And Jesus promises blessings when we believe without seeing. So let's believe, let's carry on believing, and let's share this belief with our friends our neighbours, our community. Let's get behind the work of mission here in our local community as well as further afield. Amen.